Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Hello and welcome to the Backer Coaching Podcast. Surely we'll be joined by Coach Keith Larson to talk about uh, developing his wide receivers. In the meantime, a quick reminder that the BAFCA convention will be going ahead virtually on the 3rd, 4th and 5th of July, so make sure you're available for that. But for now, let's listen in to Coach Larson. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Adam Lillis. I'm excited to be joined today by the wide receivers coach of the Bucknell University Bison Coach Keith Larson. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing great, Coach. Thanks again for, for having me. You're doing a great job with this podcast, and it's a great outlet for, for all involved. Appreciate it, Coach. Um, we're getting more and more listeners over in America, so I appreciate you, uh, the kind words. How, uh, how's Bucknell and uh, yourself holding up during this, these hard times? Uh, definitely continuing to uh, adapt and overcome um, but, you know, for the most part, uh, we're in a smaller town in, in rural Pennsylvania and everyone's been able to stay safe. Uh, so we're hoping to continue to stay safe. And um, although we don't know what the exact outlook looks like, um, you know, we're definitely optimistic that, number one, a season will happen and hopefully sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Um, so first question I always like to, to ask coaches is just to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, let the listeners know about your background for those that might not be aware. So why don't you go through how you first got into football, how you progressed into coaching and how you've ended up uh, today at Bucknell University. Great. Um, So again, I'm Keith Larson, uh, currently the wide receivers coach at Bucknell University. I was born in Santa Rosa, California. I grew up in Belvedere, Illinois, uh, which is about an hour north of Chicago. Uh, After that, I ended up playing safety at Valparaiso University, uh, which is an FCS uh, non-scholarship school uh, in Indiana. Uh, After that, I had the opportunity to be a grad assistant coach at Robert Morris University, uh, which is now Roosevelt University. Uh, I coached the defensive backs and and was able to get my master's. After two years there, I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, Uh, one of the top engineering schools in the country, uh, which is located near Albany, New York. Uh, I was there for three seasons. Uh, Originally started as the defensive backs coach. I was able by my last year to become the special teams coordinator. Um, So really was able to take on a lot of responsibility. Uh, We had a lot of success at the division three level. Um, Last spring uh, around March, I had the opportunity to, to head to Bucknell and join their staff. Um, first time, you know, coaching on offense, uh, had the, the chance to, to coach wide receivers. Uh, you know, for me, just, you know, getting into football uh, and just kind of how that path started. Um, you know, I was a third generation college football player, uh, both my, my grandfather and I had uh, three uncles all play college football. Uh, so definitely something that's rooted in me. Um, I was the first one that had the chance to, to give back and coach. Um, you know, everyone had been successful in their, their own paths and own outlets. Um, but ultimately for me, uh, I thought, you know, why not uh, be able to give back to this great game that's, that's given my family so much. Um, so I've definitely been fortunate to do so. Um, but yeah, that is my, my coaching journey. Um, and again, you know, currently, presently, uh, receivers coach at, at Bucknell now. 
Fantastic. And I've, I'll have some questions about that journey. But before we get into that, do you have a coaching philosophy um, that you carry with you? Or is that something you're still continuing to build as a young coach? Yeah, so my coaching philosophy is not much different for me than my life philosophy, uh, just because I really want those to be uh, one and the same and be able to identify the same way. Um, but it really comes down to three things for me. Uh, those three things being perspective, purpose, and perseverance. Uh, number one, it's about having a great perspective. Uh, you know, every day I think we wake up and we have a choice, uh, you know, no matter if we're in a pandemic uh, or things are great, uh, we ultimately control that that outlook we're providing to life and, you know, that reflects on our, our players and, and those around us. Uh, secondly would be our purpose. Uh, for me, that's, you know, my faith and my family. Um, and that's what continually allows myself to push myself. Um, and lastly, it's perseverance. Um, ultimately, you know, you got to have more than just a love for the game or a love for what you do. Um, you're going to hit some hard times. Um, and it is that perspective. It is that purpose that's going to allow you to persevere. Um, so those three things, perspective, purpose, perseverance, um, that is not something that's original to me. I originally got that from uh, Russell Wilson, um, obviously is a very faith-based person in the NFL. Uh, and I first heard that when I was in college, and that's something that's really stuck with me uh, going forward for, for life and for coaching. I mean, that's great. And it's obviously very concise and clear and easy to remember. You're not having to grasp at things to, to try and bring a philosophy that's just coming out of the blue. Um, just out of curiosity, when you're coaching your players, regardless of position, is that something you communicate with the players and is that something they know uh, where you're coming from or is that just much more of a, a personal thing to you? Uh, for me, I, I definitely want that to be a part of my day one introduction. Um, the other part of that is, you know, we connected on Twitter. Um, you know, that's one of the, whatever it is, 10 words I have on my Twitter, um, those those three words, perspective, purpose, perseverance, are three of the 10. Um, so that's something I want to be very uh, outward and intentional about. Um, but it definitely in day one, getting to know me, um, hey, what are your, your words to define you? Um, so whether you're sitting in an interview or what, someone's wondering, hey, you know, what makes you tick? Um, I'd like to think that those are, you know, my three things or are my true ABCs that I can always fall back on. Absolutely. That's great. Um, so, Going back to your, your coaching journey and, and your playing career, um, you said that you, you played on defence, you went into coaching defence, you spent some time on special teams, and now you're on the offensive side of the ball, coaching receivers. I imagine that's something that's been of a huge benefit, but I'd be interested to hear your take on what it's been like being primarily one side of the ball for the majority of your, your football life and now being on the other side of the ball and how, how much that's helped you. Yeah. Um... Ultimately, to me, just, you know, philosophy wise, and you hear this a lot, and I'm sure you agree just because you wear a lot of hats, you know, coaching the, the team that you do. Um, but, you know, coaches coach. Uh, ultimately, it's more about the, the philosophy and how to do it um, and not necessarily the, the what that you're teaching. Um, we can all learn the what, but just, you know, it's a lot more philosophical and how you go about it. Um, but ultimately, for me, you know, going from one side of the ball to the other, um, obviously, yes, you gain a much better understanding of the game itself. Um, but even more than that, you know, there was nothing more humbling for me um, than going from, hey, you know, at one point I'm a special teams coordinator coaching defensive backs. I feel I have a great grasp, great understanding um, to now ultimately I go to an offensive staff where this is my first year coaching on offense. 
uh, haven't played on offense since high school, um, you know, there are days where I feel like the dumbest guy in the room. Uh, so in terms of, you know, truly being humbled and, and truly, you know, starting back as a learner, um, you know, it, it's a it's a huge thing. Um, the other thing with that is just to have a greater appreciation for the game, uh, just in terms of what goes into game planning, uh, what is one side of the ball looking for uh, towards the others. Um, so, yeah, not just the understanding, uh, but more so just a, a better appreciation for the game itself. Um, and I would say the, you know, the most initial takeaway I had um, is, uh, you know, just in the scouting perspective, uh, I guess that was the biggest difference. Uh, you know, as an offensive staff, when, when we sit down and watch a defense, um, you know, where I kind of struggle and where a lot of the healthy debates begin um, is things are seen as very gray. Uh, when I was on defense, it was very black and white. You know, this offense does this. We can all draw up the play they ran and we'd all draw it up the same way. Uh, whereas, hey, we're watching a defense. It's all very interpretive um, just because, yes, they have an alignment, they have an assignment. But really, after those first two seconds or those first initial movements, uh, it's all reaction. Um, and everyone's going to interpret, you know, how they're supposed to react or how they're going to react differently. Um, so that has definitely been the, the biggest learning period is, you know, going from, uh, you know, being on defense to now, hey, I'm on offense. We're watching the defense together as a staff. You know, what are they, go they going to do? Um, and that's where, again, a lot of that healthy debate and that, that gray area lies. Sure. And this has been a common theme with a lot of the coaches I've interviewed as part of this podcast that have transitioned from one side of the ball or the other is that suggestion or advice that they coaches out there shouldn't just be pigeonholed into one role and become a, not just a specialist in a particular position, but they should try and venture out and learn other areas on the same side of the ball, but also on the other side of the ball. And it sounds like that's something you'd recommend to, to British coaches over here as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, again, I think, you know, personally for your own understanding, um, it, it makes you a better coach, um, but also just, you know, relating to your players, uh, not just coaching up, hey, you know, you're on a specific side of the ball, um, but saying not just, hey, this is what I think they're going to do, but also having the, the wherewithal to say, no, I've coached on that side of the ball. This is exactly what they are looking for. This is exactly what you're doing. Um, you know, ultimately, when it comes down to that preparation, uh, yes, you're ultimately only as good um, as your knowledge of what the, the opponent is doing. Um, so, yes, the, the more knowledge you have there, the better. Um, then also from a professional standpoint, uh, you know, if, as you look at your resume, as you, you look at what you've done, um, you know, the, the coaching industry, you know, as we continue to see day to day is a very volatile industry. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing saying that under your own accord or own power that you're going to be in the same place a year from now. Um, and if you're in a pinch, the more experience you have in the, the more different areas, um, the more marketable you are. Um, so that's the other thing, just from a professional standpoint. Yes, it's, it's great to be able to coach and be able to relate and be able to understand. Um, but also the simple fact, if you want to continue coaching, um, you're just that more and more employable, uh, you know, with those different things on your resume. Absolutely. Um, and some of the t teams that you've listed there as teams that you played for and, and are now coaching for, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe they're all very various different levels of the, uh, the college scene. Um, at each level, has your coaching style changed at all to, to reflect the level that you're coaching or, or are you very consistent wherever you've been? 
Yeah, so the, the short answer to that uh, for me would be no, uh, just because I think regardless of, you know, your staff situation, regardless of level, uh, you still need to be true to yourself as a coach. Um, yes, you want to be able to adapt and, and be able to uh, echo the things that are coming from the top down, um, but ultimately, whether I'm coaching in uh, the NFL or high school or Pop Horner, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I need to be true to myself uh, in terms of what I'm comfortable, uh, a way I'm comfortable teaching. Uh, otherwise, I do truly think that the, the players see through that. Um, to me, the largest difference between the different levels, um, you know, having coached at the NAI level when I started as a grad assistant coach, having coached at the Division Three level to now Division One is just at the different levels. Um, it's not the on the field differences. Uh, it's the off the field differences. Uh, you know, for example, uh, when I was at Robert Morris University uh, as a grad assistant, you know, I was 22 years old. And uh, yes, I was coaching defensive backs, but I was also tasked with being an admissions counselor uh, with the school. Um, and beyond being an admissions counselor, I was also a financial aid counselor. Um, so yes, this was a great way for me to, to make extra money, uh, but at 22, 23 years old, I was sitting down with families, uh, sitting down with prospective student athletes that I wasn't that much older than, um, explaining them the different, uh, you know, different kind of loans they could take out, how they can finance and afford their education, uh, the kind of scholarship that we were giving them, uh, just very, uh, very real, very adult things uh, to be tasked with uh, a 22-year-old, um, and again, uh, that has all become invaluable uh, just because the more you know about the, the landscape as a whole uh, when it comes to higher learning, uh, the better you, off you are as a coach. So uh, again, to, to break down that question, uh, my short answer is no. Um, you know, have not changed much in terms of how I go about teaching and the, the what I'm teaching. Uh, the largest differences, like I said, kind of come off the field uh, with the landscape of the different levels. Sure. Um, as we've said, you've coached at different levels. You've coached alongside a lot of different coaches during that time. What are some of the like, important lessons that you've learned from those coaches? Any, any big things that have really helped shape you as a coach going forward? Absolutely. Um, so the, the first thing that comes to mind, um, especially since we're talking about, hey, coaching at different levels, and this is uh, something that I know you hear uh, echoed a lot, um, but it, it reigns very true, um, is that you truly have to make whatever and wherever you are, make that your big time. Uh, you have to be where your feet are planted, um, because ultimately, if you're continually looking forward or looking ahead, um, you are not going to be, uh, number one, you're not going to be the best possible coach you are in that situation. Uh, but number two, you're, you're only hurting yourself and hurting your program. Um, so regardless of where you are, uh, make that moment, make that team uh, the biggest stage possible. Um, and me, when I'm struggling or kind of, uh, you know, kind of questioning, you know, something that's going on either uh, football-wise or recruiting-wise, um, it's generally grounded in the fact that, uh, you know, I'm looking too far into the future. Uh, or I, I'm, I'm not really looking at things correctly. Um, you have to, to be present in that moment and, you know, make wherever you're at your big time, um, you know, no different than uh, the players, no different than uh, the things we talk about with them. Uh, as a coach, too, uh, you have to trust that process. Um, and I know that's a very overused uh, deal, talking about people who, who go through the grind or, or go through these different stages. Uh, but it is so true, um, you know, from – 
for me, for my coaches, uh, Casey Teagarden, who's now the special teams coordinator at Indiana, um, has been very influential to me and just, you know, continually uh, being a mentor to me and telling me to, to trust the process and not just to trust the process, but yes, how to go about it. Um, then also Jeff Dittman, who's currently the defensive coordinator at RPI. Um, he was the first one that introduced that, that concept of, hey, you know, make wherever you're at your big time um, and things will be that much better. Um, and it's no different for the players. Um, if they see uh, the Division three level as their big time because they ultimately were given that opportunity and they can use that as their stage, um, you know, that's where you want your, your presence to be felt. Um, and then just, you know, uh, two more important lessons, uh, I guess, that I'd, I'd like to add. Uh, number one, uh, you know, going along with that process, uh, planning is great. Uh, preparing is even better. Um, you know, nothing has been more evident of, yes, you can make as many plans as you want, uh, but you ultimately have to be prepared uh, than what we're going through right now. Uh, me on a personal level, uh, on top of, you know, the unknowns of the football season, um, you know, as of right now, I'm still supposed to be getting married uh, on the, the 4th of July to my fiance. Uh, so uh, on top of the questions of the season, uh, just the, the questions coming into play um, with uh, planning a wedding, not knowing if we're going to have three people there uh, or 50 um, have been a lot of fun uh, to, to say the least. Um, so again, you want to make plans, but also preparing at the same time. Um, and lastly, uh, you know, something I don't think we talk about enough, um, but I think the right coaches do um, is just, kind of that concept of, you know, still having love uh, in a sport like football. Um, you know, that idea that you can coach them hard, uh, but hug them after. Um, I think that is so important that, yes, uh, you know, especially the, the best players need to be coached hard. Um, everyone needs to be coached hard, but at the end of the day, uh, got to hug them after, got to love them up after, got to be able to show that affection um, if you truly want people to be all in. Um, so I know that was a lot, um, but again, those, those are kind of my big picture lessons uh, that I've taken and try and continue to put into action. No, absolutely. That, that's great. And first of all, just congratulations on your upcoming wedding, and I hope it all works out for you uh, in the current situation. Um, so why don't we get into wide receiver play, as you're currently a wide receivers coach. Um, before we get, start getting into like everyday drills and and things like that, and, and scheme. Do you break down development areas for your receivers? And if so, what kind of areas do you look at and focus on? Yeah, uh, so just from a recruiting uh, standpoint, you know, we are uh, an up-tempo offense that, that spreads the field, uh, you know, 11 personnel. Um, so two guys on the outside, a, a more typical slot receiver um, that can do a lot of things. Um, so with us being, you know, a spread up tempo team, uh, what's the number one thing we're looking for is, is speed, right? So um, if you want to be an offense that plays fast, uh, that also entails not only a fast operation, um, but you have to have speed on the field. Um, so obviously that's something that we're always looking for uh, development wise. Um, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to develop. Um, you have to entrust uh, a great strength and conditioning program, and, and that's being put to the test right now with everyone at home and on their own accord. Um, but, yeah, the more explosive and the, the more speed we can have on the field, um, the better off we'll be. So that is the really the number one thing, um, you know, in terms of development. After that, um, I am continually preaching, and if I'm looking for receivers, uh, you want receivers to be complete receivers. Uh, what do I mean by complete receivers? Uh, not just someone that's situational that 
um, can take the top off a of defense, uh, not someone that's just dependable with good hands, not someone that can just block, um, but someone that you can put on the field knowing that regardless of the route that's called, regardless of the situation they're in, uh, they have the ability uh, to, to take the top off and, you know, and go deep. They have the ability to, to be reliable and catch the football. Uh, they have the, the ability to, to block. Uh, they have the ability to, to make someone miss in space. Uh, you want someone to be more complete uh, just because the more you have to sub and the more you have to pigeonhole guys, uh, you know, you really become more predictable and, and worse as an offense um, because every time the defense sees certain personnel coming into the game, uh, they have a much better idea of what's, what's going on. Uh, so de developmentally, uh, again, number one is just, you know, looking for that speed and looking for the ability to develop that quick twitch, uh, you know, quickness overall. Um, but beyond that, just truly being a, a complete receiver, uh, something we strive for to, to make us better as a whole. Um, and especially when you're talking about being a tempo team, um, if you have the ability to go fast and not sub anyone off the field, um, you got to have guys that can, can do all those things. Um, and it makes you that much better. Absolutely. I'd love to dive into the, the speed element a bit more. Can you break down what you mean by speed? Is it Are we just simply talking straight line speed or are you looking at ways to evaluate how they get in and out of cuts or how they get off the ball in the first place? Like How, how do you evaluate that a bit more deeply? Yeah. Um, so first of all, um, you know, we do look at the very tangible objective. You know, you look at, uh, you know, your 40 times, uh, your pro shuttle. Um, those are the first things that give you a good indication of, you know, what you're looking at speed wise. Um, for us, uh, we love knowing uh, that a receiver or a skill guy on defense the same. Uh, if they're a track guy, that means a lot um, just because that means they've put a lot of time into not only developing their speed, but also being mechanically sound and efficient with their movements, um, but also having those times uh, that really transfer to football really well. Um, you have a great idea, you know, when you look at different 100-yard um, dash times, when you look at 40-yard dash times, um, how that's going to translate on the field. So that's, that's number one. Um, you know, there are very, you know, tangible things that you can see um, just with the basic timing. Um, but beyond that, yes, uh, some guys have uh, a very different football speed uh, than they do track speed. Um, and that's something that is much harder to measure. Um, sometimes it's harder to measure because uh, every kid you look at, you know, they might be playing against various, uh, you know, competition levels. Um, so a guy that, you know, looks really fast on film, is it because he's actually that fast uh, or is he just that much faster than his opposition? Um, so that's a tricky thing to navigate. Um, and that's why it is so important to, to have those actual times. Um, but definitely looking for those guys who, who pop on film and, you know, they're truly separating from, from other people on the field. Um, as far as, you know, quickness and agility and getting in and out of breaks, um, that um, is less about a timed mechanism um, and more about the fluidity of their movements, right? So you're looking for someone who is uh, not stiff, not rigid, not predictable in terms of what they're going to do, uh, but very fluid in their body, doesn't look like they're in a rush, um, and has a lot more ease in those movements. Um, and a lot of your simple cone drills, you know, seeing guys go in and out of cuts at, you know, 45 degree angles or square angles, um, just seeing how they bend, how they move, how they carry their weight, uh, I think says a lot about uh, translating into that, that other part of the quickness. Sure, and it's interesting you mentioned uh, players that do track it sounds like you would definitely recommend for any receiver coaches or players that are listening 
that their off season is spent on the track working on their speed and their acceleration. Absolutely. Um, again, I just think from a mechanical standpoint, um, in terms of learning how to control your body and learning how to accelerate um, and be used to simply sprinting. Um, I mean, it's one thing for a guy to, to say he's staying in great shape conditioning wise um, and he's, you know, going out to run two to three miles, uh, which is great, uh, you know, come long-term conditioning, but, you know, what's going to help you separate um, on the top of a route? What's going to help you separate from a defender? Um, that comes down to that explosiveness, which I definitely think translates from track. Uh, me, I'm no different than any other coach. You know, I think the, the more things you are playing, the better. Um, but I think there is a definite translation uh, for the skill players with track. Um, you know, beyond track itself, uh, basketball is always the, the biggest one for me. Uh, just because you, you want to have someone that has the ability that goes up to, to get a jump ball, right? That is everything about being a receiver in certain moments, whether it's, you know, going up to get a rebound uh, or being in transition, being able to accelerate um, and attack the rim. Um, you're doing a lot of those same things in basketball. Um, so those to me have the definitely the, the single biggest carryover. Um, but track, absolutely, it's number one, very measurable for coaches to be able to see and, and look at the speed. Uh, but number two, also, it translates really well uh, just in becoming uh, more athletic and more concise with your movements. That's great. And you talked about complete receivers. So let's talk about the receivers that are in your room currently, the ones that you have on the practice field on a daily basis. What kind of everyday drills are you working with them in order to help them be more complete receivers? Certainly. Um, so, you know, big thing for us, um, because we are wide receivers, uh, ultimately, there has to be some aspect, you know, I believe of ball drills in your day to day, whether that's uh, pre practice, whether that's during practice itself, um, you can never be simply catching the football enough. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of mechanics and a lot of focus that go into something that sounds simple, uh, like catching a football. Um, but that's something where the, the more automatic that is, um, you cannot have enough reps of just you know, the simple act of catching a football, um, those that use tennis balls, uh, all good with that too. Um, just ultimately comes down to hand-eye movement, seeing the ball all the way in um, and not really letting it pass your face, right? You never want to let that ball pass your eyes. You want to see that concentration in every catch. Um, so obviously there's a million different variations of uh, ball drills that you can do. Um, that is something that I think you can never do enough of. Again, like I said, whether it's pre-practice, uh, whether it's during practice, um, or that's after practice. Um, the other thing you can never get enough of just in how the game has progressed. Um, you have more and more people, uh, you know, getting longer and, and bigger and faster on the perimeter, um, which has given people the ability to want to play press man and, and different variations of man-to-man -man coverage. Uh, so the more you're working releases, uh, the more you're working just getting off the ball itself, the better, uh, just because ultimately uh, everything you draw up, everything we just talked about with speed does not matter if I simply can't get off the line of scrimmage. Um, so it is very important to be able to, to work a release and be able to ma manipulate defenders. Um, so the more you can just, you know, work on those first, uh, you know, three yards of really getting off a of football um, and just how they're going to deal with uh, close coverage, I think the better off you are. Um, and lastly, uh, building off of catching the football, uh, working on catching the football at, you know, as many different angles as possible. Um, it's impossible to replicate, uh, you know, every single way that the, the football is going to be thrown to them on the field, uh, but you still want to um, at least have them have the, the mental capacity to say, yes, I, I've caught the ball over my shoulder 
Um, you know, I've worked on, you know, keeping my inside blocked and, and catching it over my outside. Uh, I've caught a ball low. I've caught a ball behind, uh, really just trying to recreate and uh, show them and, and have in their body uh, that they're taking reps of, you know, catching the football at all, all possible angles, I think is all good. Sure. And I'd, I'd like to dive into the uh, beating press elements. As you say, we, we face a lot of press over here. It's, um, it's a very typical thing for our defenses to try and want to disrupt receiver routes as much as possible. Do you coach a, a particular technique for all your receivers to, to, for beating press? And if so, how does that look? Or is it more of a case of allowing the players to play how they want and use their natural instinct to, uh, to defeat the press? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, that's one thing where everyone, at least developmentally, um, you know, everyone's coming in in a different circumstance receiver wise, just, you know, you don't know how much press they've seen or, you know, how comfortable they are, or, you know, how much they've repped that. Uh, with that said, yes, I do think it comes down to the individual um, just in terms of what their comfort level is with different moves. And some guys are simply always going to be better at doing different things. Uh, for example, um, you know, any taller receiver, uh, anything he's naturally going to do on the line of scrimmage, uh, regardless of what he's doing with his feet, you know, whether it's a, a one-two tap to, to set someone up, because he's taller, uh, he's naturally going to try and swim everybody. Um, and that is, you know, absolutely the worst thing you could possibly be doing um, because it really opens up your body. Um, when people think of a swim move the same as a defensive lineman, you know, you naturally raise your hand in the air um, and bring your, your arm all the way over uh, when really that should be more like a punch, you know, coming from your, uh, you know, shoulder level uh, and just straight across. So uh, getting people out of some of those bad habits, uh, I feel, is more important. Um, and and as, as long as you can give them a toolbox of, hey, this is what uh, a swim move could look like. Uh, this is what a rip move could look like. Um, you know, you've seen all the different variations of people, people simulating some kind of uh, jab crossover move on the line of scrimmage. This is what this could look like. Um, but ultimately, it's got to be something that um, the players, number one, repped uh, a ton of, uh, but number two, and more importantly, something they're comfortable with. Um, and you can definitely see that comfort level on the field. Absolutely. Um, on a weekly basis uh, in your practice schedules, how much competition drills do you do against the defensive backs or the defensive backfield as a whole? Um, and could you perhaps explain what those are and, and the purpose of those? Absolutely. Um, so the the most common thing that we'll do uh, week to week is your your very typical one on one drills. Um, you know, so during our during our season schedule, uh, you're talking three days a week, uh, whether it's five minutes or ten minutes, um, doing some variation of of one on one, uh, where you have you know one receiver, uh, one defensive back, and then the quarterback throwing footballs. Um, off of that, though, however, I think something that gets overlooked. Um, that I've realized, you know, you really can't get enough reps of um, is just getting those same one-on-one -on -one reps uh, in the red zone. Um, and when I say the red zone, I'm not just talking, hey, from the 20-yard line or the 15-yard line or the 10-yard line or the five-yard line. Uh, the answer is yes, all of the above. Uh, just because, you know, what happens more often than not, uh, teams are going to either zone off everything down there uh, or in the red zone, you have people manning up. Um, and as much as quarterbacks might be off to the side, you know, uh, throwing the, the fade ball into to a garbage can, um, the, the back shoulder throw uh, or, you know, banging in a slant and really putting that ball on the body 
those reps are extremely invaluable uh, just because at the, the most crucial point in the ball game, uh, you have to have had the feeling that, hey, your guys have been in those situations. Um, so beyond doing one-on-ones, I think the, the red zone reps of those one-on-ones, um, you know, it's a lot more competitive because it increases the pressure. Um, it's not just, hey, you're, you're catching the football. Uh, you know, the, the defender feels they're giving up a touchdown. Uh, the person on offense feels like they're catching a touchdown. The quarterback is scoring touchdowns. Um, so all those things involved, I, I feel like that's invaluable. Uh, another thing that I really enjoy um, that relates to, uh, you know, those releases we just talked about, um, if you put your receiver and your defensive back in a 10-yard box, okay, so you put them in the middle of a 10-yard box, uh, if it's a corner, he can be pressed on the receiver. Uh, his goal is, uh, number one, to have a, a great get-off and a great release, um, but by the end, by the time he gets to the end of that 10-yard box going forward, he wants to have stacked that defensive back. If that defensive back has forced him outside of the parameters of the box um, or he's still even and the, the receiver has not stacked him, uh, essentially he has won. Um, but just trying to build that urgency of the fact that, you know, number one, I have to win on the, the line of scrimmage, but number two, after I win, what do I have to do? I need to stack that defender. Um, and you can do the same thing with a safety in the drill. Um, he can be three yards off, four yards off, uh, make sure that they're specifically playing catch techniques so there's no backpedal, uh, but same concept where, hey, he's trying to, to force him off his landmark outside of that box, um, and that receiver's trying to get a, a vertical release and get him stacked by the, the time he gets to, to the end of that 10 yards. Um, that, all that work is very good. Um, and then lastly, you know, something that's often overlooked um, but cannot be emphasized enough, yeah, the, the more one-on-one um, and getting creative uh, ways you can have receivers block the defenders, uh, whether that's with uh, a running back or someone behind them, uh, great. Uh, if not, um, just that uh, idea of being able to get on toes and have a live defender to attack. Um, and the same thing for the defender to be able to get off those blocks is all, all good stuff. Thanks, Coach. There's some great advice there. Just to clear up a couple of things, by when you're talking about stacking the defensive back, you, you're talking about overtaking them and then getting back on top of the, uh, the DB's path. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. So if I have a vertical release, um, you know, I've either went left or right to obviously get around the defender. Um, but the sooner you can get stacked, yes, and on top of that defender um, so that he is now in between you and the quarterback and you are truly on top of him, um, you know, that's really the, the moment you've won. Um, so anytime you're working a release um, or, or working through the top of a route, um, your goal uh, is always to stack that defender um, so that, hey, you have uh, just grass, um, you know, between you and the end zone um, and being able to create that, that separation. Um, it all starts with being able to stack that defender. Sure. And talking about the one-on-one the -on -one situations, you will obviously have your root tree that you want to work on, the quarterback's uh, coach and yourself will, will call the necessary routes. Do you communicate that and plan that in advance with the defense so that they're doing certain coverages against certain things? Or is it a case of just going out there and rep what we need to rep regardless of uh, whatever the defense is doing? Yeah, no, it's, it's more so repping uh, what we need to rep. Um, you know, in those situations, everything is is man-to-man. -man. Uh, so in terms of the the type of man or the technique that they might be playing an off man, you know, I've seen different, you know, DB coaches and me myself, you know, they might be encouraging them to do different things. Um, but the important thing though, is that uh, yes, uh, some coach, whether it's the receivers coach or the quarterbacks coach 
is the one providing those routes um, and your guys aren't just creating routes on the fly. Uh, just because what, what do you see when you go to uh, any camp or, you know, any setting where your guys are just playing around outside on their own, um, you know, they're going to have triple, quadruple moves uh, to get open, uh, things that obviously you don't run and, and B, you don't have time to protect for. Um, so just making sure that, yes, you're still running realistic routes, uh, number one, that are real routes, but number two, and even more importantly, routes that you run uh, is very important. Sure. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier was the fact that you guys run a an up-tempo op offense. Can you perhaps describe at a high level what that looks like? I mean, is that no huddle or is that huddle? Or is that what? How does that look? And what are you expecting of your receivers to be doing on a play-by-play -play basis in order to, to facilitate that up-tempo offense? Yeah, um, so it's definitely a no-huddle operation. Um, so a no-huddle operation, you know, with a goal of getting that next play off uh, within the next 15 to 20 seconds if needed. Um, you know, we have certain tempos where you can go even faster. Um, but, yes, because you're not huddling, uh, everything is predicated on signals. Uh, so just like I talked about a receiver being a complete receiver, uh, when we have receivers that have knowledge of multiple positions, um, it makes them even more valuable. Uh, the tricky part or the challenging part with that is um, that's just more memorization, you know, on them. Um, so continually trying to, to push our guys um, that, hey, it's not just about understanding you at this position on this play, um, but if you know big picture concepts and you know all the signals and you're really in tune, um, you know, the more valuable you are to the team. Um, but, yes, everything is signal-oriented, um, you know, so you have a, a cadence coming in, uh, you have a signal for, uh, you know, different formations, you have a signal for plays, um, and being able to separate all those things on the fly um, definitely takes someone that, you know, can handle that mentally. Um, so, again, cannot stress enough the, the mental aspects, um, you know, which I'm at a, a school that is definitely, a, you know, a really high academic school, um, and, and that certainly helps. Um, but yes, if you're going to be an up-tempo team, regardless, um, you got to make sure your players can understand, you know, number one, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, but number two, you just got to be able to communicate. Um, but yes, that for us, that is all through either uh, hand signals on the sideline uh, or using some of the different cards. Um, you know, I know Oregon became most famous, right, when they had the huge, huge cards you'd see on the, the sideline that they're holding up in the air with different pictures or different things going on. Um, so we have some variations of that that we can do. Um, but, yes, using all those things either way, um, it's definitely uh, a lot on the mental capacity of the receivers. Sure. Thank you. And we're, we're going to start wrapping up now. One final question. As a receivers coach, is there a particular play or pass play that you'd love hearing being called and you're looking forward to running? And if so, uh, perhaps you could break that down to the listeners in terms of how it's coached and uh, how the offense runs that play? Absolutely. Um, so for me, uh, after having coached on the, the defensive side for five years before coming to offense, um, you know, the, the most befuddling, you know, at one time new but is now the norm thing um, is the concept of RPOs. Uh, so me, no different on offense. Uh, I still am in huge favor of the RPO, uh, being able to put people in conflict, uh, specifically uh, whether it's from our boundary receiver or our slot receiver, a uh, huge fan of the, the five-step post um, that comes off of the inside zone action in the backfield. Um, so generally, you know, de depending on the look, uh, the quarterback is reading that overhang player. Is he committing to the run? 
is he committing to the pass? Um, and that really predicates, is he handing the ball off? Um, and if he, you know, is, is committed to the run, um, that is the defender he's throwing behind uh, that guy in conflict. Um, so in terms of coaching up that specific route of the five-step post, um, some might see that as a variation of the, the glance route, right, as it's called. Um, but the coaching point, um, you know, whether you're an outside receiver or a slot receiver, uh, you always want to be able to, to look like and sell the fact that you're going vertical. If you want to make a defender uncomfortable, you need to make it look like, hey, you're going a million miles an hour and you're going vertical to get on their toes to try and get them to transition sooner than they want to. Okay, so that's number one, having a great get off, selling the fact that you're going vertical. Uh, for us, our inside foot is up. So I, my inside foot is up. I go one, two, three, four, five. After that fifth step hits, which is my outside foot, I want to be firm, uh, but not too violent. You know, don't want to be able to disrupt my body. Uh, but five steps, you know, challenging vertically, solidly get that foot in the ground. Um, and the key components uh, of, you know, hitting this five step post is uh, not to be too vertical. Uh, people have a tendency to, to try and round that and go up the field. Uh, what that does is takes you a lot of times right at the safety. Uh, instead, the flatter you can be with that break, the better uh, to really be in that divide between the, the linebackers and, and the safeties. Um, and a lot of times at the, the point this ball is delivered, um, those are the, the balls you see where, uh, you know, someone runs this five-step post. And after that fifth step, he comes flat, catches the football, uh, and is able to, to slide through sometimes even to the other side of the field um, just because he's kind of in that, that no man's land. Um, so importance, again, of, of selling that vertical four or five steps, uh, having a, a flat enough release uh, to shield yourself. Um, the last you know, important part of the, the quarterback throwing the football is um, that's got to be a body throw. Uh, you know, that's generally in the vicinity of a middle linebacker, not too far away from safeties, you know, right in between them. Um, so that throw's got to be on the body, uh, can, cannot lead him. Otherwise, it might, be, might not be pretty. Brilliant. Thanks, Coach. Um, we're going to start wrapping this up now because I want to let you get back to your, your staff meetings and things like that. Um, but before we let you get on, I'd like to give coaches the opportunity to share their social media handles uh, and things like that in case coaches or listeners want to, to get hold of you to talk some more. So if you're happy to do that, I'll let you do that now. Absolutely. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Coach K Lars. Uh, so Coach, the letter K, L-A-R-S. Um, and yeah, my, my inbox is open. My DMs are open there on Twitter. Um, so definitely feel free to reach out. Um, you know, this podcast is just a great example uh, of the power of social media. Um, but yes, would be able to love to help, you know, any way I can and, and help progress the game um, that's given us so many. So thanks again for, for having me and definitely look for me on, on Twitter. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate the time and uh, I hope 2020 season goes ahead and Buck will have a very successful season and uh, you and your receivers have a great year. Absolutely. Well, appreciate it, Coach, and definitely look forward to, to keeping in touch. Thank you again to Coach Larson for taking time to talk to us. Tune in next time for another BAFCA Coaching Podcast episode. Thank you.